Hi, I'm Shari Tishman. And I'm David Perkins. Welcome back to our podcast series, Thinkability. In our last podcast, we tackled the tricky issue of inquiry versus advocacy, two stances toward pursuing truth, and they often compete. So now it's time to relax, because today our topic is taking a pause, in particular, the power and pleasure of pause. Why the topic of pause, you may wonder? Well, many of the themes we've talked about on this podcast focus on specific and intentional moves we can make in order to get better at thinking. Like last episode's inquiry versus advocacy theme, as you just mentioned, Dave. Similarly, we've talked about using thinking routines, which are specific intentional strategies. We've talked about being intentionally metacognitive and so on. But good thinking isn't entirely a matter of strategic mental effort. There are moments when, you know, a mini vacation from straightforward effort, taking a break or standing back can be powerful and important. So today we thought we'd explore the topic of pause with a special but not entirely exclusive emphasis on the connection between pause and thinking. Now, maybe the first thing to say is that we're talking about relatively short pauses coffee break type pauses, or setting something aside for a couple of days, or maybe a week, in contrast, say, with a longer-term life pause, like a period of unemployment between switching jobs, or a gap year between high school and college. There are lots of metaphors and figures of speech we use to acknowledge and name the kind of pauses, and that's a sign they're important to us. For instance, press pause, change gears, Step away, put aside, take a break, sleep on it. Even the simple phrase, just breathe. Ah, breathe. Yes, that sounds good. Well, with that focus in mind, instead of offering a definition of pause, let's let's try to characterize what these kinds of pauses feel like. For instance, the first thing that comes to mind for me is that they feel like a bracketed experience something that kind of happens inside the two sides of a parenthesis, so to speak. There's a flow of experience before a pause and a flow of experience afterwards, and pause happens between the brackets. Yeah, and another characteristic has to do with the quality of experience. Often, a pause is not intensely effortful, especially not in the sense of trying very hard to plow directly ahead on something. And not in the sense of just switching back and forth between two things that are just as hard. There is a freedom and spaciousness to a pause that just isn't present when we shift quickly from one effortful activity to another. So let's begin this topic. Along the way, we'll try to take a look at three big themes. Why pause, when to pause, and teaching and pauses. And let's get started then with why pause? Well, one straightforward reason, and maybe the most familiar reason, is to simply take a break and refresh yourself. The pause is often a relaxation of effort. You might take a quick pause where you just stand up and stretch, or maybe something longer, a short walk or a beverage break. The point is to do something that feels restorative so that you can get back to your activity feeling refreshed. Actually, the Coca-Cola company capitalized on this urge with their 
famous advertising slogan that says drinking a Coke is, quote, the pause that refreshes, which, of course, taps directly into our desire to take a restorative pause. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Another somewhat different reason for a pause is that getting away for a while can help to reframe the way we're doing or seeing something and can give us a fresh perspective. For instance, you might pause and later come back to a puzzling decision or a decision tentatively made just to see it with fresh eyes. Or pause when you're stuck on a problem or challenge and don't see a way forward. Or pause just to see if you can return to something and see it from any helpful new angle. These kinds of pauses work because there are ways of gaining distance. I often find with writing that that's the case. Sometimes I'm writing something and it's just helpful to set that draft aside for a while, get a bit of distance, and come back to it later. Now, later might mean a few hours or a few days. The important point is coming back to it. I often see things that weren't apparent before and go to work trying to fix them. Hmm. I know that feeling. Well, here's another example that's a little bit different. Sometimes it's good to pause not so much to gain distance, but rather to buy time to gather more information or to get more input so that you can come back to the matter more informed. I'm reminded of the topic of our last podcast on inquiry versus advocacy, Dave. Sometimes our push to take a stand, to advocate or form an opinion on something, and we realize that we just don't have enough information. So we press pause to take more of an inquiry stance. This just happened to me recently with a local election in my town. My friends were supporting a certain candidate and they urged me to vote for her. You know, their argument sounded good, but I realized I just didn't know enough about the other candidates to make an informed choice. So later on, I found a moment to pause and then I did some quick research. And really, all I did was just go to the campaign websites and do a quick skim. And as it turned out, I did end up voting for the candidate my friend supported, but at least they felt like my vote was more informed. Oh, yeah, Shari, that makes total sense. Well, here's another version of pausing to get more information, one that's not as overtly active as what you did. Sometimes we intentionally pause to let circumstances unfold, to wait and see how things play out. Rather than take action or work out a specific thought, we step aside. We wait to see what happens. Ideas sometimes bubble up at random moments or something we're reading or a conversation we're having triggers an association. Pausing to allow space for new input to emerge, whether you actively go looking for it or see what bubbles up, does really seem like an important kind of pause. And here's a pause of a somewhat different flavor. Pausing simply to immerse yourself in the present moment or to deeply appreciate what's right in front of you. Often we're in the flow of something, whether we're walking from point A to point B or trying to solve a problem, or maybe we're deep into a discussion, or, or maybe we're looking at art and trying to figure out what an artwork means. But it can be really worthwhile to stand back and pause just to more fully take in the experience you're having, to savor it. For example, you may be walking outdoors and take a pause to take in a view or just enjoy the air and the sounds around you. Or maybe you're with family or friends and you pause to appreciate the companionable moment. And for some thinking-centered examples of this kind of pause, we might pause to appreciate the beauty of a solution to a problem 
or to appreciate the tangled complexity of a situation, or to appreciate the marvel of a feat of engineering or the beauty of a design. So, there are really quite a few motives for pausing. However, as is often said about comedy, good timing is everything. So, what about good timing for pauses? When might it be smart to consider taking a pause? What are the yellow flags or sometimes red flags that suggest pause now? This is not a huge mystery, and I bet that most of our listeners will find these sorts of situations familiar. Here's one, potential for going around in circles or actually going around in circles. Sometimes I notice, and probably you do too, didn't I just try that or consider that yesterday or this morning or even 10 minutes ago? Maybe it's time for a pause. Shari, uh, how about another example? Well, another good time to pause is when you're facing a high stakes decision that could be hard to back out of. For instance, maybe you're thinking of moving out of the area to take a new job and, and you like the initial feel of things, but sometimes the initial vibes feel differently after a couple of days. So just taking a day or two pause before forcing the decision can really be a helpful way to see what bubbles up. And then for another example, there are the classic signs that a pause is needed, like fatigue or boredom or staleness. I mean, sometimes there are things we just have to deal with. We just need to see them through. But even so, we may not have to see them through in the next three hours. Fatigue, boredom, staleness, these are often symptoms of too much all at once. So Stepping away or looking at the situation differently may restore energy and bring insights, even if it doesn't make the activity the greatest thing you ever wanted to do in your life. So those are some examples. Any more pause-worthy symptoms, Dave? Stuckness. Of course, some problems and challenging situations just don't have a good way forward. However, it's easy to get trapped by how one has defined a problem. In fact, we often fall into a narrow view of a problem without even recognizing we've done so. We've taken for granted that the problem is such and such, but it could be looked at in other ways. Or we've settled on a particular approach that just fills our mind, only we can't quite get it to work. Maybe there are other entirely different approaches. Time away, just to refresh, or let whatever circumstances come up cue us in a different direction, that can really be helpful. These symptoms that we've spoken about and others like them could be framed as yellow light, maybe pause, or red light, seriously take that pause, depending on the circumstances. Either way, worth being alert to. But let's confess, there is a kind of catch to all this. Yes, there is. We can recognize, as you say, various yellow flags and red flags. But since we're talking about when to pause, let's just face it, there are times when it's not so easy to do so. I mean, sometimes circumstances just won't let us take a break. So that's a real obstacle. And even if you technically can take a break, another kind of obstacle is psychological momentum that just relentlessly pushes you forward. And you're just so involved in something that you don't feel like you can stop. But you know, that momentum can actually be a cue to check in with yourself to see whether it would be wise to pause for a bit, maybe to get a fresh perspective, or maybe just to refresh your energy, refresh yourself. 
So true, Shari. And I see a kind of a close relative of that one, too. There is wanting to be done with things and just trudging through. This is certainly a reality. I'm just sick of focusing on this. Let me get it behind me. And, you know, if the matter is not all that important, maybe that's the best way. Be done with it. But if it is important, might be smarter to make room for that pause to get it well done. And then there's just not seeing the payoff, undervaluing the contribution of a pause, or not understanding how to pause effectively. It's easy to feel that you just have to muscle through because, hey, how can just stopping possibly help? But here's the good news. Just stopping often does contribute in very concrete ways, energy, freshness, new ideas that bubble up, and the pause does not have to be hugely long. And stepping away type pauses especially do not involve any very elaborate technique, just doing something relaxing or not doing much. So why not give it a try? Okay. So there's some ideas about when to pause and what stands in the way, but how can we help people get aboard that pause train? Gary, how about starting us off talking about teaching and pause? Sure. Well, interestingly, there seems to be two sides to this theme. One is teaching people about pause, and another is designing pause into instruction. And these aren't the same thing. So to start off, teaching about the power of pause can be pretty straightforward. What's important is that it's almost never done, but it can be done. So for one thing, we can directly talk to learners about the importance of pause and the different purposes and benefits it has. Also, we can directly invite learners to take a pause when we think it might be beneficial for them, even if they themselves don't recognize the opportunity. Relatedly, we can help people learn to cue themselves to take a pause by encouraging them to be metacognitive about it, to get in the habit of asking themselves, might this be a good time? Might it be wise to take a pause? So those are some ideas about how to teach pause, but there's also the teaching side of it, not teaching about pause, but as you said, using pause when you're teaching to make instruction more effective. We could call these instructional pauses. Dave, what do you think? Yeah, good connection. There's a classic example in teaching giving what's called wait time. Well-known research shows that waiting several seconds before taking answers to a question dramatically increases both the number of students who might respond, who have their hands up, and the depth of response. And also, there's what's called wait time two. Wait time, too, involves pausing a few seconds after a student has responded, rather than rushing along to get another response to the same question from another student or just ask another question. That pause after a student gives a response makes space for all the students to more deeply process what's been said before a new thought is introduced. Often, they add new thoughts. So both wait time one and wait time two are just beautiful examples of the power of even a very short pause to boost learners' learning. So true. I'm also thinking that wait time can be stretched 
And another example of instructional pause is intentionally pausing when you're teaching to give learners real think time. For example, ask a question, then tell students to take a full minute to think about it before you'll take responses. This pause in your own instruction, which it must be said won't necessarily feel like a pause to students, but it gives students time to do some deeper mental processing. Then for another idea, thinking about what we said earlier about the power of pause to immerse yourself in the present moment, another kind of instructional pause is really just that. Invite learners to pause, to just look, to sense, to appreciate. For example, pause to appreciate the complexity of a math problem the class is working on, or the simplicity of a design or the beauty of a work of art. There's an animated or even a heated discussion going on in the classroom. Pause to appreciate the multiplicity of perspectives in the room. And then for another kind of instructional pause, let's not forget the body. It's so important to build physical pauses into instruction, such as stand and stretch breaks when switching topics. And other sensory experiences can also function as pauses, like listening to music, taking a snack break, or as we mentioned earlier, just breathing deeply. Speaking of the body, let's think for a moment about the spaces our bodies occupy. Mainly, we've been talking about a pause as a move we make, but not where we move to. Maybe we can close out by talking about pause and physical space, classroom space, school space, outdoor space, home space. Hmm. Well, we've been speaking about teaching, but, you know, in a metaphorical sense, our environments teach us, or at least indirectly coach us as well. Their style, their roomy or cramped spaces, whether they're sterile, verdant, these kinds of characteristics can really shape what our pauses are like. For instance, there's quite a bit of research that suggests that natural or park-like environments with open green spaces and trees are conducive to pause, not a surprise there. And there are urban environments too that can invite pause, though honestly, sometimes they can be harder to find. But it could be a vista from a bridge, a sidewalk cafe, a seat by a fountain. And there's also research about the features of spaces that invite pause, whether the spaces are urban or not. They should be spacious, but not too exposed, quiet, or at least ambient, pleasant noise around, a place where the body can feel comfortable and safe. So the moral of the story, scouting around for favorite nearby places to pause, yeah, that's worthwhile. Also, remember that evidence that very brief pauses of this sort can give a real boost. Let your surroundings be your coach, so to say, in taking the kind of pause that refreshes. Mm. You know, this theme of physical space and its role in cueing and supporting restorative pause seems really rich. Dave, why don't we close out by just asking a couple of questions about it? For example, I'll start. Here's one. For those of us, of us who work with students in a physical classroom, the question is, are there physical supports or cues for pause? Are there pause spots that students naturally gravitate to? What would a well-designed classroom pause spot look like? feel like. And, you know, though we haven't really talked about online pause at all, one can ask the same question if you're teaching in an online space. Where are the pauses there and how do they feel and how do they work? Yeah, and here's another question we can ask ourselves. Where do you go 
Or what do you do when you personally want to take a cause? Maybe it's as simple as putting your feet up, switching chairs, going for a short walk. Maybe it's closing your eyes. Maybe it's taking a nap. Perhaps it's listening to music, listening to the sounds of nature. Maybe it's your yoga mat. What works for you? Mm. Well, there are some ideas about this notion of pause that are, it's familiar notion, but it's also sort of subtle. And we've talked about the power of pause, its purposes and its pleasures. And of course, the pleasures relate to its purposes because the pleasures include things like relief from the pressures of just going and going, and also the insights of taking a pause and finding new perspectives. So Dave, let's just spend a moment summing up very briefly where we've been. Sure. Well, one theme was why pause? And we spoke of several payoffs, restoring energy, coming back to a situation with fresh perspective, or discovering those perspectives on re-engaging the situation, finding that relevant ideas and information naturally accumulate while we're not concentrating on the situation, and maybe nudging that process on just a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then we also talked about when to pause. We talked about yellow and red flags, like going in circles or feeling stale, high stakes decisions, but also the challenge of getting oneself to pause in the face of counterforces like psychological momentum or just wanting to be done with it. And of course, the good news is that even short pauses can be helpful and that a pause is easy to take once you've cued yourself to do it or given yourself permission. A pause is not in itself a complex cognitive challenge. And finally, we talked a bit about teaching and pauses. And there, we spoke of teaching about pauses, but also including generative pauses in the teaching learning process itself, and the importance of how natural and other appropriate environments can implicitly coach effective pauses for us. Now, of course, these themes overlap in all sorts of ways, but hopefully this little foray into the whys and wherefores of pause has been as interesting for you, listeners, as it has been for us. And who knows, maybe it will even inspire some of us to take more pauses and help others do so too. So that's it for today's episode of Thinkability. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back in a few weeks with another episode. Remember, as always, you can find the Thinkability podcasts on the Project Zero website or on Substack, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, see you later, Shari. And see you later, Dave.